And if you're saying that you know truth, if you're saying that you know what is truth, then you've got to have something to actually measure that against. Proverbs 18.10 Podcast 25 feet, a thousand layers. How many millions of years did that take to form them? The answer is it took three hours. Proverbs 18.10 Podcast This is the Proverbs 18.10 Podcast, presented by me, Paul Taylor, in association with Proverbs 18.10 Media. For all information about the podcast, including where to find the RSS feeds to put into your favorite podcasting software, please visit proverbs1810.org. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Proverbs 1810 podcast. My name is Paul Taylor and you are very welcome to join me here. Thank you for being with us. And this is, in fact, uh, episode uh, 63 of the Proverbs uh, 1810 podcast. Uh, Episode 63. It's not been too long since I did the last one, so hopefully you'll have forgiven me for the long uh, waits that there have been between these episodes. Well, uh, the reason for the um, podcast is to try and bring you a biblical worldview, try and... uh, Uh, establish you in a with a biblical framework on how to interpret the world and that's why uh, in this particular episode we'll be covering such things as the COP27 conference and Rishi Sunak's comments there we'll be talking about the uh, about just stop oil and the industrial revolution we'll be having a little look at uh, some of the fallout from uh, the midterm elections in the United States Uh, We'll be taking another detailed look at the uh, biblical case. You can see my cat in the background there over my shoulder. Uh, Biblical case for the continuation of the gifts of the Spirit by uh, uh, an exegesis of 1 Corinthians 14, at least the first section of that. And uh, we'll be looking at, very briefly, at uh, um, the the fourth sign of the uh, second coming. Uh, you may have forgotten that we've covered the first three of the four signs of the second coming but I'll come to that when I get to that point in this podcast Uh, but first uh, how you can support these podcasts is very important free speech is not free so please listen to this message hello there Taylor and I'm very privileged that you take the time to watch these uh, podcasts of mine or to listen to them the Proverbs 1810 podcasts um, I love that verse of scripture that I've based the name of the podcast on Proverbs 18 verse 10 and the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they're safe it gives me an opportunity to talk to you and to try and uh, talk about world issues and exegetical issues and always taking a conservative, biblical, Christian world worldview point of view. So thank you for taking the time. Please remember though that uh, the free speech that we enjoy isn't actually free and these podcasts need support and therefore there are three ways that you can support me. 
you can support me at Subscribestar or at Locals or at Substack. So it's Subscribestar.com forward slash Paul F. Taylor or it's paulftaylor.locals.com or paulftaylor.substack.com And of course you can find all these links and all the previous episodes of the podcast at proverbs1810.org Thank you for listening and if you are subscribing, God bless you, thank you for doing so. Please join our list of subscribers so that I can continue to produce these podcasts for you. So first we'll have a couple of items on uh, climate change and I did um, play a snatch of a, a speech by uh, United Kingdom Prime Minister Rishi Sunak in the last episode, part of his speech at the palace uh, before King Charles III. Um, just before he went off to the COP27 um, uh, conference and it, that was in Egypt and uh, here's a little bit of his speech actually in Egypt and he wasn't really saying anything different so I don't want to dwell on it too long but I just want you to get the tone of what um, is being said and please bear in mind that uh, this man is meant to be a conservative prime minister it is the Conservative Party that is in power in Britain, not the uh, so, uh, supposed Socialist Labour Party. Uh, and so you need to be aware of that uh, when you listen to uh, the sort of things that are being said, because it seems as if the government is actually far from Conservative. Let's just uh, get a, a flavour of what he has to say. And uh, better just get the browser in place for that. is honouring our promises on climate finance. I know that for many, finances are tough right now. The pandemic all but broke the global economy. And before coming here today, I spent last week working on the difficult decisions needed to ensure confidence and economic stability in my own country. But I can tell you today that the United Kingdom is delivering on our commitment of £11.6 billion. And as part of this, we will now triple our funding on adaptation to £1.5 billion by 2025. But let me tell you why. First, I profoundly believe it is the right thing to do. Listen to... So Mr Sunak profoundly believes that it's the right thing to do to be... Um, paying out so much money and reducing the carbon emissions and um, I can I think I'll, I'll, I'll go into some of the uh, more the details later and I've been into some of the details before but you do need to understand that for for these sort of politicians this is a moral crusade he says he profoundly believes it's the right thing to do I don't actually think he probably does but he certainly thinks it's the right thing to do for his career and uh, for his um, uh, for his political clout he certainly believes that um, but there, was, there are severe problems and it's, an, it's the injection here of a tone of morality which is what's significant because you know in today's world the most immoral thing you can do is apparently produce carbon dioxide 
carbon dioxide that as we know causes plants to grow, food to grow and therefore keeps the hungry world in place and we'll expand on that a little bit more when I get on to talking about the just stop oil people in just a moment. So there's been this uh, movement that's been going for a little while this year in um, in Britain called Just Stop Oil and uh, they claim to be an environmental group and what they're after is so uh, uh, as the name says they want us to stop drilling oil and drilling for oil and using oil and uh, well there have been a number of protests by this group they've done things like gluing themselves to roads and uh, there was one case where uh, a couple of protesters threw some paint over um, the painting uh, uh, Van Gogh's painting uh, the sunflowers uh, particularly annoyed me I suppose because I, I love Van Gogh's uh, paintings fortunately that particular painting was behind glass and therefore it should be reasonably okay to clean it up um, but it's uh, you know at some point they're going to find another way of damaging these works of art and there were some protesters out um, a week or so ago um, on Britain's busiest highway and they were causing problems because of course what they were doing was they were climbing gantries and there's a, a, a particularly viral video that was uh, posted on Twitter uh, one uh, young lady and you'll notice by the way that these protesters seem to be young and generally speaking middle class as well young and middle class <clears throat> and you'll see that in this uh, video that uh, uh, I will I will play and we'll try and comment on what she has to say because I think it's quite noteworthy uh, you, you sort of quickly get the hang of the way that they have been um, indoctrinated uh, uh, the sort of bias that uh, that they've had and um, being attacked by my cat again as I'm uh, just a moment say come on you're not supposed to be there you're just causing problems so you say hello to the viewers and then you're going okay good girl um, it's 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 noteworthy the uh, the sort of way that they have been indoctrinated with things that are not true and you can tell that the things that they're saying are not their own just like the um, young activist Greta Thunberg uh, a couple of years ago addressing the United Nations um, it's uh, it, it's the same sort of thing that we're seeing here let's just w watch this uh, video and by the way uh, there was another Christian podcast showed this video and the um, presenters of the podcast started laughing straight away I'm not going to do that um, let let me comment on what uh, on what this girl is is saying, and you'll see why I don't want to do that. Uh, it's also not difficult to find out her name, and there've been a lot of things posted on Twitter. Uh, they've found all sorts of other pictures of her um, times when she's clearly flown to the United States and um, other other things that she's been involved in driving a car and things like that. And 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 the idea of hypocrisy has been labelled. I, I'm really not going to try and use that as a means of criticism. I mean, it's, it's fair to some extent, but also this is a girl. She's in her early 20s and, um, you know, 
I, I came up with a lot of stupid comments, stupid things that I did in my early 20s, but there was no Twitter or Facebook to post these things on then. So you don't know what I said and what I did and how, how I offended people and how hypocritical it was bearing around other things that I was doing. So I'm really not going to use that as a means uh, of, of criticizing it. What I am going to do though, is I'm going to criticize the arguments and the way in which they put just in the video. Let's stick to that. So, um, here is this uh, young lady she does actually give her first name in the video so i can refer to her uh, by that name but um i'm not going to go any further than that anyway here here we go By the way maybe you're thinking well it doesn't look like a terribly busy highway um, we have these highways in Britain called motorways they are the equivalent of uh, the interstates here in the United States and uh, but there's one that's been uh, built to um, circumnavigate London it's uh, it, it circles the greater London area and that's uh, known as the M25 they all have the letter M in front of them these uh, num uh, these particular roads and that is the busiest highway and you saw saw there was no traffic on it well the reason is because the girl concerned is taking this video has climbed up one of the signaling gantries and uh, clearly she's a danger to herself and to traffic <clears throat> i mean police had no idea whether she was not going to throw herself off and so clearly they had to actually close the road and that's causing traffic chaos which of course is what the protesters wanted um so that just sort of explains where that comes from hello my name is louise i'm 24 years old and i'm here You see immediately there then that uh, this girl is clearly, as I said, middle class. <clears throat> uh, it's not a working class pursuit, this, uh, um, these environmental uh, uh, protestations. And uh, you see immediately that um, you could tell that those are not her words, okay? I, I'm here because I don't have a future. And who's said that sort of thing? Well, I know because I used to be a school teacher. I was a school teacher for 20 years in Britain. And I can remember in the 1980s, the curriculum and God help me, I, I followed this and I said this to classes, you know, in the 1980s, I was saying to classes, um, I can remember saying this in the first school I taught at. The first school I taught at was, uh, I taught between 1983 and 1986. Okay, so I can picture that particular laboratory that I was teaching in and I was teaching that oil is going to run out by 1996 because that's what the curriculum said and we're all going to have huge problems at that point and why don't people do anything about it. It's people like me then, school teachers, who've done this indoctrination and uh, yeah if I could find all those uh, children um, you know, some of whom are now in their 50s. Um, if I could find those and apologize to them for scaring them in such a way, I would do so because uh, that's not the views that I hold today. But that's clearly where this uh, poor girl has got these fears from. And you might hate me for doing this and you're entitled to hate me. Actually, Louise, as a Christian, I'm not entitled to hate you and um, I don't hate you. 
I don't hate you and I'm very sorry for what uh, those of us who have trained you and taught you have done to you because that's where these things have come from uh, you've been misled you have been misinformed and I'm sorry for the distress that has been put into you and the fear and the worry and the concern that's been put into you I can see that you're genuine in what you say and there has been a lot of hate on your Twitter channel a lot of other people have said these things and I did say there were some inconsistencies you know those inconsistencies are there but I don't blame you for those either again when I was in my early 20s there would have been many many such inconsistencies and I'm not going to pick those out I just want to look at the substance of what you say and I don't hate you Louise and nor should anyone I'm just so sorry for what we've done to you I wish you would direct all that anger and hatred at our government they are betraying young people like me I would love to be there if they did their lawful duty to their own citizens I'm part of the Just Stop Oil Coalition demanding an end to all new oil and gas licenses in the UK what we're asking for is what all the scientists are asking for no Louise all the scientists are not asking for the end to oil there are many many scientists who know that the end to oil would cause disease and suffering and death and well I'll come back to that in a moment but you know you, you come out with a phrase like all the scientists are asking for that that's not the case and you don't need to do very much research to find that that's not the case and I could point you to many books and many studies that will show you the uh, the need for the, our use of fossil fuels what the United Nations are asking for the International Energy the IPCC how many more people have to say we don't have a livable future if you continue licensing oil and gas for you to listen why does it take young people like me up on the gantry on the M25 for you to listen now that you're drawing breath Louise maybe I can just say that um you know it's it's not the case that there's death being caused by um, uh, the use of oil in fact the use of oil and coal in the Industrial Revolution is what's caused people to be able to live longer lives and for the world's population to support uh, you know a population of 8 billion people these things have come about because of the Industrial Revolution and we have uh, we know that there are many developing countries which um, have massive deposits of coal and oil and they want to exploit those and are being prevented from exploiting those coal and oil resources uh, to be able to get their own industrial revolutions and to be able to um, uh, improve the quality of life for their own citizens that's being prevented by politicians who actually take the exact same views that you are proposing Over a thousand people in the UK died in just a few days because of the 40 degree heat, because of the climate crisis, which is fueled by oil, gas, coal, fossil fuels. No, Louise, you are wrong. 40 degree temperatures did indeed cause death for some people. But those 40 degree temperatures, 40 degrees Celsius, by the way, for my American listeners, those 40 degrees Celsius temperatures uh, in Britain during the summer 
were not caused by fossil fuels. They were not caused by fossil fuels. And there have been plenty of times in the past where there have been such, uh, such um, temperatures. But you look at the annual death rate during cold spells, and that is far worse, far worse, by a huge order of magnitude, far worse than the, uh, the deaths being caused by 40 degree temperatures during the summer. Um, I ought to perhaps do a little bit of math here and uh, try and remind myself what 40 degrees is in Fahrenheit for you. Okay, Okay, 40 degrees Celsius is 104 Fahrenheit. So that's the temperatures that were causing problems in Britain. And you know very well in, here in the United States that there are plenty of places with higher temperatures than that. And maybe the, more, the greater prevalence of air conditioning in such areas in the United States is what mitigates against that. And air conditioning requires cheap energy. Cheap energy can really only be found in the form of coal and oil. Uh, one of the things that's been left unsaid is the assumption that fossil fuels cause climate change. And that, uh, again, although the, the girl hasn't said this, is uh, because um, there's carbon dioxide produced by the burning of fossil fuels. So you've been led to believe that carbon dioxide is dangerous. It is not. Carbon dioxide is a fertilizer. It causes plants to grow uh, by uh, using photosynthesis. So you get more plants with more carbon dioxide and you... Um, therefore uh, have more food available and it's that that uh, that causes uh, the lengthening of lives and the curing of illnesses and so on you need that heat that cheap energy in the winter how are you going to do that by solar power and by wind power uh, creating electricity intermittently not at the times when it's required you see these are things that you need to think through uh, more carefully uh, instead of just uh, parroting the things that have been told to you by the grown-ups who should have known a lot better. And I am so sorry that you've been misled that this way. But you are, you know, I am talk talking to you as if you're a child. You are young, but you are an adult yourself. You can read these things. It's, it's not difficult to find uh, the books. Um, the Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. I'll have to look up the author of that so when I next... Uh, pause this video to record something more but that's a book that you need to read in order to understand what the truth of the case is and I hope you'll be able to take it in and our government they want more it is an act of murder no Louise it would be an act of murder if your removal of fossil fuels caused so large numbers of people to die during the cold and it is an act of murder and an act of colonialism for Western powers to prevent developing nations from exploiting their own fossil fuel reserves to get their, the livelihoods of their own citizens uh, up to the same level as those in the West. That's what would be an act of murder. And this is an act of self-defence and we need you to join us in order for this to work, in order for our murderous government to take action and listen. How many more people in Pakistan, in Nigeria, have to die before they listen, even in the UK? We will stop as soon as the government stop new oil and gas. And I'll, I'll stop the video there. She's looking around, by the way, all the time because uh, she has been arrested now. She was looking at, uh, at, at uh, where the police were coming from. 
and she has been arrested and um, I don't know what should happen so she's committed a crime she's caused a lot of inconvenience to people but Louise what you say about Pakistan about the floods the floods are not caused by climate change the floods were caused by the deforestation you see there are certain um, issues of uh, environmentalism that, that I'm on board with we do have uh, biblically a stewardship responsibility on the planet and um, the uh, that's what the sort of thing that caused the floods the the it was there were there were difficulties there have been problems uh, but there are floods happen in different parts of the world that is the case it's sad we should help them we should uh, take care of them um nigeria is one of those countries but the, the most populous country in africa that really needs to get itself and its citizens up to speed and what they want to do there is to exploit the reserves that they have Nigeria has massive oil reserves it's one of the most oil rich countries in the world and they have to some extent exploited those but they want to be able to do so more I often refer to the example of Botswana one of the most stable governments in Africa really wants to do the right thing by its citizens and they cannot get the grants required to exploit their huge coal reserves um, the European Union uh, people for example have told them they've got to keep their coal in the ground um, and, and they would improve the lives of their citizens if they were able to make uh, cheaper electricity by using their coal reserves and create their own industrial revolution so that is what uh, you need to consider there uh, Louise that's, um, that's the issue that really needs to be thought through and just very quickly before I move on to anything else this is the book that you need by the way Louise and anyone else who's, who's struggling with these issues this is the book that you need. It's the uh, the moral case for fossil fuels, and it's by Alex Epstein. And uh, I've just put up the Amazon page there. Hopefully, you will be able to find that. It's available in good bookshops too. Um, have a look for that. That is the uh, information that you need to be able to make an informed decision and uh, inform your opinions on this important subject. Well, for weeks, maybe even months. Conservative commentators in uh, in the United States, here where I live, have been saying that the midterm elections would produce a red wave. Um, just for my British listeners, the political parties' colours are the opposite way around to the way they are in Britain. Uh, so they use uh, red as the colour for Conservative, believe it or not, um, Republicans' party, and the Democrat party is blue. Um, and that's difficult for us Brits to get our heads around where... You know, in Britain we consider it the other way around where blue is conservative and uh, red is uh, socialist but um, the midterm elections did not produce the results that the Republicans expected now who's to blame for that is it Donald Trump who's to blame is it Mitch McConnell the um, Rep Republican leader in the Senate one thing's uh, for sure you, we see that um, the counting has been very slow very slow indeed in many senate elections and in many of the gubernatorial elections that have gone on as well and it's interesting that where the republicans were well ahead the counting didn't take very long we knew by the end of tuesday the election day that uh, for example that ron DeSantis had won big in florida and he won big by uh, actually taking a provocative line on the covid nonsense uh, so good for him and i'm glad that he uh, achieved that victory in florida when we look at Arizona where Carrie Lake was expected to win 
big, she did not. And the counting has taken a long time. And at the time of recording here, they still haven't come up with a result. But it looks as if the Democrats are going to win it. It looks as if Katie Hobbs, the Democrat candidate, will be um, the next governor of Arizona by a very small amount. But the, the counting is taking such a long time. And with all the long counts, it's interesting that it's the Democrats who come out on top. What am I saying? Am I saying this is a fraudulent election? I think many elections on both sides of the Atlantic have been fraudulent. And yeah, I am suspicious of some of these election results. I am very suspicious of the election results. And why shouldn't I be? Um, they make us feel despondent about the future. They also make us think we should get out of the blue states, the Democrat-controlled states, and get into the red states. And I'm glad I live in northern Idaho, where we have a bit of a rhino governor, Republican in name only, but it does at least mean that they, there's not much concentration of what goes on in the state. And what happens in the north of the state, in the northern counties, is um, uh, much more healthy. And so I'm glad I live in the, uh, in the north, north of Idaho. Uh, I live in Bonner County. When I first came here, I was living in Boundary County, but I live in Bonner County now in those two counties uh, on, the, on the northern panhandle of, uh, of Idaho are in good shape and it seems to be the best place because I don't think this uni these United States of America are going to remain united much longer and that may be a depressing thought that uh, the world's greatest superpower may be about to split up but I do think it may be the case uh, there's going to be a lot of splitting up and a lot of divisions in many parts of the world but the, our hope is that there's going to be some places where we can uh, live godly lives and uh, believe what's uh, what's right and stand up uh, to speak truth to power that's what I'm hoping will happen and the midterm elections that are just happening in the United States merely give more um, pressure to that uh, uh, way of looking at things so uh, there's a lot of prayer needed there's a lot of prayer needed for both the countries which are dear to my heart the United Kingdom where I was born and brought up and lived for most of my life and the United States where I live now uh, a country that I love and I love the American people and there's a lot of prayer needed um, it's not surprising really that both our nations are in the state that they're in because we've really uh, what's the best way of phrasing this we've rebelled against God I was going to use um, a slightly coarser uh, phrase but I'm not going to. We, we have rebelled against God and it's not surprising therefore that we're in the state that we're in. Praise God though he's in control and he always has a remnant uh, and there are even in uh, the United Kingdom where people are, where the governments have rolled over there is no proper opposition the media seem to be all in uh, cahoots with the uh, ruling elite. Nevertheless there are still people of character and people of, uh, of God in uh, the United Kingdom too so let's pray for each other and pray that God will protect us keep us safe and cause his gospel to go out because now is a good hour and people are talking about um, spiritual things so in the midst of this crisis that's happening over the western world now is a very good hour indeed for spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ and we can speak truth to power in that way but uh our sins are many 
but they can be covered by the Lord Jesus Christ when we turn and we trust him now just very quickly before we get into the main exposition of the day let me please remind you that you can support me on Subscribestar or on Locals or on Substack and the addresses for those uh, and also my main website proverbs1810.org they are on the screen at the moment well now let's get into our main exposition of the day which uh, we're going to be looking at 1st Corinthians 14 that's 1st Corinthians 14 uh, we're probably not going to get a long way into the chapter and we have to make a number of comments and in this particular exposition those comments are going to come as criticism as criticizing both cessationists and um, charismatics Okay, they're both going to come under criticism because in both cases they're not following actually what Scripture says. Um, obviously the Charismatics are following Scripture in the sense of uh, acknowledging the existence and continuation of the gifts of the Spirit, uh, which is what we see from 1 Corinthians 13. What they're not doing though is they're not uh, actually using the gifts in a correct way. So let's just have a look at how that works, shall we? Um, I'm just going to change my camera angle at the moment for this purpose. Okay, so we've got uh, the scripture there in front of us, and uh, this is what we are looking at. Uh, it says here, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So when it's saying pursue love, that's clearly a continuation of 1 Corinthians 13. It's showing that 1 Corinthians 13 is not an irrelevant interlude. Everything we've read there, including the fact that the gifts are going to cease when Jesus returns and not before, uh, all that is then included in what we are looking at then in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 12, we're introduced to the various gifts, but now we are looking at 1 Corinthians 14 and uh, we're examining how those gifts are meant to be used. So we're meant to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For reasons that we'll come to probably in the next podcast, uh, prophecy seems to be the most important of these supernatural gifts. And not for the way that cessationists would criticize us, because as I've already made clear, prophecy is not a revelatory gift. There is no new revelation, no new instruction or doctrine can possibly come by prophecy. But that's for another occasion, because the first section here is going to be talking about tongues. So we're earnestly, we must earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. This is very important. Many people use tongues as a means of delivering messages to churches. That is unscriptural. And so here's where here's our first criticism of uh, charismatic and Pentecostal churches. Um, we've already criticized those Pentecostal churches who will say that tongues are a necessary sign of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is clearly, again, unscriptural. Otherwise, the Apostle Paul wouldn't be saying, do all speak in tongues. Um, and uh, here in this passage, we've already seen that tongues is not the most important of the gifts. Prophecy is. Um, it's almost as if the Holy Spirit were anticipating the arguments we'd be having in the 21st century, isn't it? 
A little bit of sarcasm there. One who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. So tongues are prayers. They are directed at God. That's what they're used for. Now, I've heard many people say that tongues must be a human language at that point. Okay? I think it is possible that that may happen on some occasions. The miracle at Acts was clearly people hearing uh, languages that they um, that they knew. Okay? And uh, w there are tongues of men, because we read that in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's just quickly zip back to that so you can see it. Uh, there's the tongues of men and of angels. Tongues of men and of angels. Now, this is the only place where you read of tongues of angels. But, you know, I get a bit fed up of people saying things like that. Where it's an argument uh, for something. They say, well, this is the only place in Scripture you find it. Yeah, so... It's in Scripture. How many times does something have to be in Scripture before you call it true? This is a real fault among many people with exegesis. They want to minimize something, so they'll say, well, it's only ever found here once in Scripture. I'm sorry, if it's once in Scripture, it's there because the Holy Spirit deemed it to be important. So there are tongues of angels. There are tongues of men, and there are tongues of angels. Now, what's being referred to here in 1 Corinthians 14? Possibly both. But we should note that the Apostle is saying here, no one understands him. Not that most people don't understand him, or it might be possible that there's that uh, there's nobody in the church who understands this, but there's no one here who understands him when he's uttering that uh, uh, tongue. He utters mysteries in the spirit. He utters mysteries in the spirit. Now, we will go on now to have a look at the contrast between prophecy and tongues. Uh, as I said, we're not really looking at the... Uh, how, to, how prophecy is to be used, but we will look at this uh, contrast here. So we've got that somebody is speaking in a tongue and nobody understands them. The person who's actually speaking doesn't understand it. The people in the fellowship do not understand it. Only God has understood it. He's uttered mysteries that are in the spirit. But in verse 3, we then read, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Let's come back to that verse when we're under the heading prophecy. But you see there that there is being a contrast. Prophecy clearly is speaking to people and tongues are not. Tongues are speaking to God. So again, I will emphasize the churches where you get a tongues message, that is unscriptural. Okay, a tongue, um, Tongues are not used in this context to preach the gospel. Uh, they're not used uh, for um, building up the congregation, as we're going to see in a minute. And that, of course, is different from what you saw in Acts 2, where there's a sermon being preached, or there's things being said, and people are hearing in their various languages. So the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, again, I've heard some people say this is a criticism of uh, the use of tongues, building up himself, as a, you know, edifying himself as if that is something wrong. Well, to build up yourself in the eyes of the world, clearly that would be wrong. To build up yourself in the eyes of the world, or in the eyes of the church even, 
lives of other people. That's wrong. But that's not being what's being referred to here. It's, it's God who is encouraging because we're speaking to God. And therefore, that is of help to ourselves. Again, for those people who think that this is a criticism of the use of the gift of tongues, it clearly can't be because of what Paul says about the use of tongues uh, uh, in a moment. But uh, you could say the same thing about prayer. Why do we pray to God? We are getting benefit from that. And we're not getting benefit because we deserve it. We're getting benefit because that is what God has said will happen. In the same way, this tongue, which is actually a prayer, so it comes under that same heading as prayer, is building us up. But not because we deserve to be built up. We clearly do not deserve to be built up. Uh, the people who are being built up here in, first, in uh, the church in Corinth are not particularly uh, holy people. But the Apostle Paul, we we're going to read in a moment, also speaks in tongues, and this is to build himself up. Yet the Apostle Paul is very humble. He doesn't raise himself up in the eyes of people. No, he is being built up and strengthened by God for God's purposes. So the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. But again, you know that ultimately the person who is building up the church has to be God. It's not a human being who builds up the church. So again, um, you know, you can't use this as a, as a, a, a out of context. Uh, you mustn't pull this uh, this particular thing out of context with what Paul is saying uh, uh, globally about um, the use of these particular gifts. So the Apostle Paul then goes on to say, I want you all to speak in tongues. How many does he want to speak in tongues? All. Do, are ever, is everyone going to speak in tongues? No, the Apostle Paul has said that. Okay, because he then goes on to say even more to prophesy. And I don't know any churches that think that everybody in the church prophesies, but the Apostle Paul says he wants that. That's in the same way that the Apostle Paul says, you know, prays that all people will be saved. We know that all people will not be saved. God decides to give the gifts, okay, to who he wishes. Uh, that's what we saw in First Corinthians 12, so that there are different parts of the body. Not everyone will speak in tongues, not everyone will prophesy. But Paul says, you know, he, he thinks that this is a good thing to desire. It's a good thing to desire to speak in tongues. And it's a good thing to desire to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So someone could interpret at this point, and that would build up the church. But even then, the interpretation cannot possibly be a prophecy to the church, because these things are distinct. The interpretation of the tongues would be a prayer. And that prayer then would build up the church because that would be God who is um, deciding that that is going to be the case. Okay, so it's this desire that the church may be built up. But again, it is God's church and the Apostle Paul is not saying anything different here. And uh, nor is he criticizing the use of these tongues. Uh, so many of these types of criticisms that people make of this passage and of these gifts are done because they desperately want to prove that there is something wrong with the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. But if they stop to think, that can't be the case even under their own exegesis, because they have to believe, if they are cessationists, they have to believe that the gifts have ceased, not that they were wrong, not that there was never a time for them to be used. All we disagree on is when the, that cessation happens. So they must believe that before the canon of Scripture closed, which is what they interpret as the word perfect, 
Before the canon of scripture closed, there were people speaking in tongues and there were people prophesying. And therefore, we need to know what that is. Excuse me a moment. You'll probably get this on camera, but I'm trying to remove my cat who is crawling over the desk. Okay. So, there, there are people who interpret. Again, I, uh, uh, I heard a criticism of this verse that said, well, there isn't a gift of interpretation here. There's simply someone interpreting. Not so. Okay, we go back to 1 Corinthians 12, and we see that the interpretation of tongues is actually defined as one of the gifts. Um, it's one of those nine gifts mentioned in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. Um, there's the utterance of wisdom. There's the utterance of knowledge. There's a charismatic gift of faith the three there are gifts of healing four there's working of miracles five there's prophecy six there's um discernment ability to distinguish between spirits seven there are various kinds of tongues the tongues of men and of angels eight and there's the interpretation of tongues another gift interpretation of tongues so that is a supernatural gift of the spirit it's very important here that we don't use one without the other okay so the apostle paul then goes on to say if i come speaking in tongues how will i benefit you unless i bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching it suggests to me that tongues are mainly a personal thing I don't know that it's particularly useful or healthy for tongues even to be used in corporate worship. I think they're really for the individual. I think, I honestly think that the number of times that I have spoken in tongues in public worship could probably be counted on the fingers of one hand. It's small. In fact, I can actually only think of two occasions. There may be a couple of others. My memory is not what it was so there may be a couple of others but as far as I can remember I can only think of two occasions when I've spoken in tongues in a church and that's because God seemed to give me the interpretation at the same time um, which is rather unusual I don't think that's something that would normally happen um, but it is possible because it is possible for us to have more than one gift but I'm not benefiting the church. I am, however, benefiting myself if I speak in tongues privately. Now, again, it's been criticized, you know, we're not supposed to benefit ourselves, we're not supposed to build ourselves up. Well, if I'm praying by myself, I'm hardly bigging myself up in the eyes of the world, or in the eyes of the church. No one else is seeing that. I'm not reporting to people how I'm praying. I could show you my prayer file. I could show you the sort of things that I pray for other people, except I'd probably be breaking their confidences if I did. I could do that. I'm going to pray in tongues in those meet in those times of prayer when I'm meeting only with God. Um, I I think what we're saying here is that just as my prayer in English is a benefit to me, because don't forget it doesn't benefit God. You know, I look at. <laughs> One of my good friends gave me a, a, a prayer point for them yesterday. And 
that's something I'm going to be praying for, for them. And it's a tough situation that they find themselves in. So I'm not going to give you any hints about who that person is or uh, what my link is or what the point prayer point is or anything else. Okay. It could be that I'm sort of digging myself up a little bit just by giving you this uh, particular anecdote. I hope not, because that's not what I intend doing. It's something I bring before God, and it's not going to raise me up. It's possible it might raise me up in the eyes of that person a little bit, but that's not why I'm doing it, because I've been asked to to mention this to God. But it's mostly me who will benefit. That person will benefit if God chooses to answer that prayer. I certainly think uh, that person will benefit. But God already knows what that prayer point is. I'm not giving God information that he doesn't know. You must understand that. I mean, it should be pretty obvious. I'm so often talking to people who believe in the sovereignty of God and yet can't get this point. When I am praying like that, God already knows. So my prayers do not benefit God. They can't, can they? So if there is any benefit in praying, and the Bible tells us there is much benefit in praying, it's clearly not God who benefits. God is glorified, but he's not benefiting. He's not learning something new, but I am. I'm in touch with God. It's for me. And again, it's not because I deserve it. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve prayer. I know. In my prayer time this morning, I, I've gone through some really... Horrible sins that I, I think of my, in myself. I'm a sinful person. And I keep having to repent over and over again. But, um, you see, it's a benefit to me because God loves me. Not because of who I am, but because he's chosen to love me. I don't know why he's chosen to love me. That's because he's so much higher than I am. I don't, I can't really go into those reasons, can I? I can see someone who, humanly speaking, seems to be a lot better than I am, but they don't belong to God, so they'll bear their own sins. And I can tell them about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't force them to be saved. And there are people who die who seem to be, humanly speaking, pretty good people. And yet me, I'm a rotter. But for some reason, God has chosen to save me and so that's how it applies to speaking in tongues speaking in tongues benefits me builds me up in my prayer time with God but you don't know you haven't heard me speak in tongues very few people have there are two occasions when I've spoken in tongues there may be a couple more so there's one small church somewhere in the world that has heard me speak in tongues twice. A small church, a very small church. You don't hear me speak in tongues, praying in tongues to God. And I'm not going to do it now. It's nothing to do with you because I'm not going to just bring it on. Even though it's under the control, like the prophecy is under the control of the, the prophecy is under the control of the spirit of the prophet. You know, you don't have to blurt things out. This is not ecstatic speech where you're forced to blurt things out. That's really the sort of thing that you hear in demonic circles. That's not what we're referring to here. God doesn't do that. 
So brothers, he uh, says, Paul, if I come speaking to you in tongues, how will I benefit you? Well, I can't, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. Well, you notice there that prophecy is distinct from revelation. It's distinct from knowledge. It's distinct from teaching. And I think next week, we'll, uh, next time, I hope it will be next week, we'll try and uh, explain exactly, therefore, what prophecy is. But let's just skip down the chapter, because we do find, perhaps I'll read the verses in between. I don't know whether I'm going to make any comments on them. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? If a bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? You'll be speaking into the air. You'll notice the Apostle Paul is not saying, therefore, that you don't speak in tongues, because he has said uh, further up, I want you all to speak in tongues. Please stop uh, missing. There are people who interpret one verse out of context with a verse that's only a couple of verses beforehand. The Apostle Paul said, I want you all to speak in tongues. When he then says, if with your tongue you are to speak that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what you said? You'll be speaking to the air. So again, it's really most likely to be normally a private thing. Speaking in tongues in church, in, in fellowship times, is actually rare, or should be rare. And the fact that there are so many churches where it's going on all the time, People speaking out loud in tongues, not expecting anything to be prophesied, but basically so that everyone else knows that they're also spirit-filled Christians. No, that's not what it's about. It's not meant to be a characteristic. In many ways, then, you know, the, the general time of worship of a cessationist church and a charismatic church shouldn't really sound a great deal different. But it's the spirit that's, that's within people and, the, um, and what uh, the Holy Spirit is able to do. There are doubtless many different languages in the world. Some people say that means it's got to be human languages. Well, it could be referring to human language. But I think here what Paul seems to be giving an example. None is without meaning. Similarly, a language of angels won't be without meaning. If I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. It's of no use. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So you can see it is actually possible for the person who speaks to be able to interpret. And they may not know what that interpretation is at the moment that uh, they have that in, to in tongues. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit. I will sing with my mind also. This justification, this is a justification for singing in tongues. But again, I don't think that is normally something that would normally happen in a service of worship. This is something that is normally private because otherwise nobody understands. If you give thanks to the Spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. And here's the key. You know, the Apostle Paul needs to emphasize this to show he's not criticizing the gift itself, but the way that it is often used. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
And he goes on to say, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue in church. Now, it doesn't mean the building, of course. You know that, don't you? It means the gathering of people. So in our gathering together, it's going to be better to speak five words with your mind to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So tongues are not normally for use in church. They're not normally for use in gatherings of Christians. They are normally for use, for individual use. Don't be children in your thinking, says Paul. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Uh, there's things that we can say other than for um, a discussion on charismatic gifts about that, that our thinking must be mature. In the law it's written, by people of strange tongues, by the lips of foreigners, I, will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign for unbelievers, not for unbelievers, but for believers. That's really quite a difficult verse to get to grips with. And I'm going to put that off until next time when I talk to you and I go through this again. And we'll look at the subject of prophecy. Okay. But if the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Again, and, and I, a reason there why tongues are not normally for use within a church coming together. Okay, the next few verses then are going to go on to uh, talking about worship and particularly talking about prophecy. We've already mentioned some verses on prophecy and I haven't really... Um, emphasize what that means so i need to go back and do that so next time we need to go back and do another layer of exegesis on this particular passage so i haven't completed the exegesis on the uh, verses i've gone through but in summary we can see that chapter 14 is a continuation of everything that paul was saying in first corinthians 13 emphasizing that these gifts which have not ceased yet and will not cease until the lord returns um are to be used in particular ways and Paul is giving guidelines and he's speaking to a church that although they're using the gifts they're doing it incorrectly and it's there's the criticism that Paul is making of that church but he keeps emphasizing over and over again it's not that those gifts are wrong it's that they're being used incorrectly and it's very much the same style that you read about that uh, you read um, in 1st Corinthians 11 when Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper and, you know, if you applied the same method of exegesis to um, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, that the cessationists do to um, uh, these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, then you would say that Paul is saying, don't have the Lord's Supper. Don't have the Lord's Supper. It's, it's not a good thing to do because you make a mess of it. You, you do it wrong. But most of us, it's possible that, I don't know whether that's where the Salvation Army get their idea from, but I think the overwhelming majority of us would say, no, Paul is not saying don't have the Lord's Supper. He's saying don't celebrate it incorrectly. Here's what you should do. And that's what we've got here. The Apostle Paul is not saying don't use tongues, don't use prophecies. On the contrary, Paul is saying he wants everyone to speak in tongues and he wants people to prophesy and that the person who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. So he's uh, saying that this is a good thing. Um, but he is criticizing the way that these gifts have been misused. You know what? If the Church of Corinth was down the street, it would probably be more preferable 
than many of the charismatic churches today, which are way offline and are exercising gifts, and I should put the word gifts there in quote marks, gifts that are not mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 or any of the other lists of gifts. They're exercising gifts which are not gifts, and in fact, which you can rather see in ecstatic um, forms of worship uh, in pagan religions. You know, I'm talking about the people falling over, wriggling on the ground, making animal noises, various things that you find in Kundalini Hinduism. So there's, there's good reason to criticize charismatics. There's probably more good reason to criticize charismatics than there is cessationists, because at least many of the cessationists I know at least make a claim of going through scripture, and on so many other issues they go through scripture, but on this one they've been misled. And I want them to come back to this, these passages of scripture without their cessationist presuppositions, but to see what the, the chapters actually say. Well, I think that will probably do for this uh, one at this point. As I said, next time, let's start again in 1 Corinthians 14 and go through and examine prophecy. And we'll probably go be further on than we had uh, in this section. We need to we need to uh, analyze what Paul says about uh, each of these gifts and uh, mentioning their relative importance so that we can see that there is criticism here of the cessationist and there is criticism here of the charismatic. You know, after recording that last section, I was just reflecting that maybe some of you are uh, realizing that um, <laughs> I, I've not really thought through this continuity business properly because I'm not wearing the same clothes as I was a couple of days ago when I was recording most of uh, this particular episode. Hopefully that doesn't disturb you too much. I try to be honest um, when I'm talking to you. Um, I don't know whether what I say next will be of help to people. Um, and so I was just think, reflecting, you know, as, uh, I, as someone uh, dear to me mentioned that uh, uh, they were no longer alone, that they'd found uh, someone else, um, and I'd been praying for that person, for them to find a partner for for life, hopefully that will lead to marriage for quite a while. Um, so I was so pleased. But uh, it doesn't alter the fact that uh, those prayers have not been answered for me. And I feel very much alone on many, many occasions. And uh, it's good to be able to, uh, to talk to the camera like this and to be able to produce these podcasts. But there's a considerable amount of loneliness that, uh, that I feel on, uh, on many occasions. Um, I noticed a couple of, you know, there's some people say well you know it's good to be alone actually i get that and let's just be paradoxical about this because actually i do like being alone many times um there are occasions when it's good to be alone to walk alone to have your own thoughts see your own sights and not to have that responsibilities a bit like um wordsworth wordsworth poem isn't it you know the one says, uh, I, I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high o'er vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. Continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way, they stretched in never-ending line along the margin of a bay. 
Ten thousand saw I at a glance, tossing their heads in sprightly dance. The waves beside them danced, but they outdid the sparkling waves in glee. A poet could not, uh, a poet could not but be gay, in such a jocund company. I gazed and gazed, but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought. For oft, when on my couch I lie, in vacant or in pensive mood. They flash upon that inward eye, which is the bliss of solitude, and then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. Wordsworth probably wouldn't have had that experience that he, he thinks to himself when he's on his own if he hadn't been walking on his own. And I get that. I get that. There are times when we do need to be on our own, but there are times also when we need uh, the conversation and... When so many, so many days and weeks go by without conversation, except, you know, conversation at work, but a lot of that is professional and, you know, it, it's tough. It can be difficult. I noticed this uh, poem by a much, much less well-known poet, and I may not even read all of it, but it's, it's a good poem. Lift me up, Lord, for I'm feeling down. I need you to turn my spirits around. Lift me up, Lord, for I'm feeling blue. I need a pick-me-up like only you can do. Lift me up, Lord, for I'm feeling low. I need you to bring back salvation's glow. Lift me up, Lord, for I'm feeling bleak. I need your strength, for I'm just too weak. Lift me up, Lord, I humbly ask. For without your power, I'm not up to the task. That's lovely. And perhaps I'll just finish off this uh, particular talk by this particular section by mentioning a little bit about uh, Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is, you know, all the Psalms are good. You should read through the Psalms. Psalm 42 is one of my favourite for reading through. Um, and so let's read through it now. Uh, it's a wonderful Psalm to the choir master, a masculine type of song of the sons of Korah. Uh, we, could, we could probably expect, um, talk uh, at length at some point about why it's so wonderful that there are Psalms written by the sons of Korah. Okay. Anyway, let's let's leave that for now. Let's just get into the substance of this psalm. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God? For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me.
So I said I would bring you some uh, more music and uh, I was hoping to record something on the piano and do a sort of bigger music item this uh, time, but I haven't had the chance to do that. So uh, here's a little uh, folk tune that I recorded out of doors on the melodica. It's, uh, it's a folk tune called uh, The Water Is Wide. I heard it actually being used as a... Um, as a hymn tune very beautifully once uh, being sung as uh, uh, with the words uh, when I survey the wondrous cross if you're familiar with that hymn try thinking of it being sung to this tune the water is wide but it's it's a it's a um, folk tune English folk tune and um, I did say earlier I was going to go into the fourth sign of the uh, second coming of the Lord. I really don't have time for that now. This um, video has gone on for a very long time, well over an hour now, and uh, I think it's time to wind up. So um, we'll see. Next time I still want to go through some more stuff to do with the gifts of the Spirit, but maybe uh, maybe in episode 65 we will... Um, give that one a that topic a break and come back to uh, doing a bit of work on eschatology so meanwhile thank you for being with us just enjoy this tune and then please stay on for our messages at the end and you can find out how you can support me and uh, because these podcasts aren't free to produce they're free to you to for you to watch or listen to they're not free to produce so um, please consider supporting me i need a lot more support than i'm getting at the moment i'm grateful to all those who are supporting you know who you are so i'm not talking to you at this moment i just thank god for you who are supporting me but please some of you who are not yet supporting me financially please consider doing so i don't need you to give much if um, those people who, who who watch this and listen to this just gave a little bit it would mount up very very quickly and um i would be able to spend more time uh, researching and uh, bringing you uh, the information that i try to do thank you for being with me god bless i'll see you next time
remember, you can support me and these podcasts at subscribestar.com forward slash Paul F. Taylor or paulftaylor.locals.com or paulftaylor.substack.com and you can visit proverbs1810.org.